You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached during the online worship service of Central United Methodist Church. We are located in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to join us for our live worship experience through Facebook or Zoom every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Visit www.cumcballston.org for details. There you can also learn more about our congregation where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. This morning's scripture lesson comes from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, in the New Revised Standard Version. Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and abandoned. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hears his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of the stranger. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and that it may be abundant. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Professor Roy Heller, who teaches Old Testament at SMU's Perkins School of Theology, often warns his classes not to confuse familiarity with understanding. That's a good reminder to us this morning as we hear a passage about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. Let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of the early Christians. They would have heard this passage for the very first time while they were gathered in a small house church. Maybe we've been evicted from the synagogue. Maybe we're still in Palestine, despite the opposition to our faith from Jewish authorities. Or maybe we've left Palestine to get away from the conflicts. In either case, let's imagine that we are meeting together in a group praying for strength to withstand the opposition to our faith. You may be worried about what the future holds. But then you hear the leader read this passage in which Jesus promises, I am the good shepherd. From previous worship services, you remember other I am sayings of Jesus. He said, I am bread, light, a path, a gate, a vine. 
Now, if you were a Jewish follower of the way of Christ, these images would have helped you to hold on to your heritage. Your manna in the wilderness has become Jesus, the bread of heaven. Your light symbol of the law is now identified with the Messiah to whom the Torah bore witness. And the shepherd, a common sight across the ancient Mediterranean world, is a common metaphor for leadership, and Jesus is now the good shepherd. John's Gospel always addresses readers in the plural. These texts were meant to be read aloud in group worship. In times of testing and persecution, in geographically isolated small communities of believers, these brief, bold affirmations of Jesus' identity enabled them to hold on to their common faith. The image of Jesus as the Good Shepherd is intended to inspire the faith of adults in difficult times. It is an image meant to counter forces that would isolate them from each other and undermine their faith in Christ. Even though our modern lives are very different because we're not facing religious persecution, we are experiencing forces that could isolate us from one another and challenge our faith. The scripture from the Gospel of John that Amy just read for us was read in Washington, D.C. I'm speaking to you now from my home in Arlington, Virginia. You may be listening to this in your home, maybe located somewhere nearby, or maybe you are thousands of miles or kilometers away. Despite the physical distance that separates us right now, we are a community listening to this scripture. We are a community seeking together to find solace in the promises of Christ. God is the Good Shepherd is a familiar image for those, like Jesus, who were raised to pray the Psalms. Psalm 23 names, The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus states in this gospel passage that he is the good shepherd because there are many false shepherds who actually have only their own interests in mind. He says that thieves and bandits will exploit the flock or abandon them when wolves come around. Now, we tend to focus on this romanticized image of sheep grazing in the field and Jesus as the good shepherd. And we forget that this text is actually intimately connected with a big conflict that happens right before in chapter 9. It's almost like there's a three-act play and we've only seen the third act. So with that in mind, I want to fill us in on what we missed in Acts 1 and 2. First, Jesus miraculously heals a man who was born blind. Second, this man who was healed was taken to the religious leaders named Pharisees, and they investigated his healing. Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. That violates the rules of their religion. The Pharisees continue questioning this man, and they eventually expel him from the synagogue. The man goes to Jesus, and some of the Pharisees follow. 
Jesus speaks about spiritual blindness, and the Pharisees ask if they are blind. Jesus answers them with this gospel lesson that Amy just read for us. Jesus is talking to both the blind man and the Pharisees when he talks about the good shepherd. He begins to set himself up in opposition to the Pharisees. Jesus sets up the Pharisees as the false shepherds, the thieves and bandits who hop over the wall of the sheepfold, coming in to steal, kill, and destroy. The Pharisees are supposed to be the ones entrusted to care for and protect the people of Israel, and instead, they expel one of their own, the man born blind. He is forbidden to come back to the synagogue, and he is excluded from the community that it brings. The Pharisees refuse to trust that the healing came from God through Christ even though it happened on the Sabbath. It threatened their worldview, their conception of God, and their authority and control. The I am statements that Jesus makes connects him with the name of God. When Moses was told, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The name of God, the great I am, I will be what I will be, that is the one who sent Jesus into this world. And so Jesus is making a divine claim in his series of I am statements. They both reveal who God is and who Jesus is as the incarnation of God. In this encounter with the Pharisees, Jesus might be accused of mixing metaphors, because first he says, I am the good shepherd, and then he claims to also be a gate. Jesus, our good shepherd, does not describe himself as the gatekeeper, but rather the gate itself. Now, you and I probably don't have that much shepherding experience, And even if we did, it wouldn't be in the same way as when Jesus walked this earth. So we might think that maybe something got lost in translation here. But actually, no, Jesus really did call himself the gate because that was what a shepherd was. In the sheepfolds at night, there was no actual physical gate to close. And so the shepherd would lay down in the opening And they would control who could go in and who could go out. In this way, the shepherd knew who or what came and went, or who or what attempted to come and go. This is what allowed them to serve as protector of the sheep. Gates can stand as barriers. They often can serve as protection. Humans use gates to separate. But Jesus says he is the gate. And he is the gate that opens. He is the one that allows the sheep into the fold. And he is also the one that leads the sheep out from the pen and into the pasture, into abundant life. There is no barrier which separates the sheep from Jesus because he is the gate. He's the door itself. 
There is no barrier that separates us from Jesus. Jesus is the gate, letting us in, letting us out, keeping us safe and giving us what we need. That is the Good Shepherd's ultimate mission and purpose. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. What does abundant life look like these days? Some would say it's having safe shelter, enough food in the pantry, and plenty of toilet paper. But I suspect Jesus had more in mind than that. For many people, abundance has meant having lots of stuff. But we know that's not the abundance that Jesus intends. In other scriptures, Jesus speaks about abundant life by describing living water welling up in you. It's hard to describe, but you know it when you've got it, and you know it when you recognize it in other people. Perhaps abundance has something to do with trusting God to guide us through, to guide us through our current crisis with COVID, to guide us through our current crisis with not accessing our building, to guide us through essentially relearning what it is to be church. Perhaps it is about simply offering gratitude for the very breath of life itself. Where are you finding God's abundance these days? It is okay to have moments of joy and moments of gratitude in the midst of fear and grief. God never promised that life would be either or. Faith isn't just about living in joy and gratitude. Faith is is about navigating a both-and kind of world. We can be fearful and grateful, anxious and joyful, grieving and hopeful, one moment to the next. It's kind of exhausting to live on such an extreme emotional roller coaster. But sometimes that's just the reality of life. We wander if we're not listening to the Good Shepherd. But when we listen and we quiet down, that is when God's steadfast love can lead us to green pastures and still waters. When we encounter those waters, they refresh our soul and the living water wells up in us. That creates abundance. It gives us a sense of being surrounded by grace and love. This week I've been thinking a lot about Psalm 23. That text reminds us that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Our good shepherd is with us. Before, I've always kind of imagined myself walking through those valleys, taking comfort that Jesus was there off to the side on alert, ready with his rod and staff in case danger appeared. But for the first time this week, I wondered what it would be like to be walking through the valley of the shadow of death because we are following the Good Shepherd because he is the one who is leading us 
to abundant life through this valley of the shadow of death? What if that was the way to get to those still waters that restore our souls? Psalm 23 was on my mind this week because, of course, the obvious connection I've already mentioned, but also because it is a text that I include in many funerals that I lead. I also frequently pray this psalm with people when I visit them in the last hours of their life. Last Sunday, Greg's grandmother was admitted to Arlington Hospital and diagnosed with COVID-19. And when we got the news, I handed Greg my worry stone. I wanted him to have that tangible reminder that God was with us, even as we were getting this sad news. On Tuesday, we were told it was likely that she only had hours to live. It was heart-wrenching for me not to be able to go to her bedside at the hospital two blocks from our parsonage. I kept praying that she would know God's presence and peace with her. This week, thinking of Psalm 23, it's given me peace to think about Jesus leading us through that valley of the shadow of death, in order to get to the abundant life that is there in the green pastures and the still waters. I have been with people in their final hours in many different places and times, and to not be able to physically be with Greg's grandmother broke my heart. I believe that no one is ever alone when they die, partly because of what scripture calls the great cloud of witnesses, those saints of faith who go before us, who run the race of life and then cheer us on as we run the race of life. But I also believe that no one dies alone because the times that I have been with people, many of them, have started to talk to people who have died before. Maybe parents or siblings or other loved ones. But they have been talking to people that I could not see. I believe that's part of that transition through the valley of the shadow of death. As Jesus leads people into abundant life in the next life. This week was the first time that I caught a glimpse of what it might be for the Good Shepherd to be the one leading us through the valley of the shadow of death to get to that abundant life in still waters. There are so many worries and hurts and anxieties that can rob us of the peace and the joy that God gives to us, even in the worst of circumstances. These worries can feel like thieves, just like the ones that Jesus talked about in our gospel lesson. Every week in this Easter worship series, we've started worship by holding our worry stones and offering our worries to the heart of God. Then setting that stone next to the candle that reminds us that Christ is there. 
But how long does it take after worship ends? After we blow out the candle and put our stone back in our pocket, how long does it take for the weight of our worries to return? Maybe they're the same ones that we set down at the beginning of worship, or maybe they're new ones. But they are thieves, trying to steal the joy that God has given to us. So this morning, as I end my sermon, I'm going to do something a little different with my worry stone. I'm going to take a glass of water to remind myself of those still waters that the shepherd leads us to. And I'm going to remember that this water is filled to the brim because it symbolizes God's abundant grace and love And when I drop my worry and my grief into God's love, then it can't help but spill over. When we place our feelings and trust into God's love, it allows grace to spill over. It allows abundance to be present. There is always enough grace and love to go around. This week, no matter what worries may be trying to rob you of the abundant life that God has for you, I pray that you are able to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd and to follow wherever he may lead, because it will give you abundant life filled with joy, peace, love, and grace. Thanks be to God. Amen. Every week in worship, when we gather, we respond to the proclamation of God's word. Our hearts overflow with grace from that good shepherd. And we know that when hearts overflow, there are many ways that we can share that love. The love and grace that we have from God is not just for ourselves, but when it overflows from us, It is what we can offer the world. We also offer not just love, not just words, not just hopes, but we offer tangible help. Sometimes it is by volunteering our time and helping others. Sometimes it is by offering up our talents. And sometimes it is by offering up our treasure. In this time when so many are worried and anxious about finances, you may not feel a spirit of abundance right now. Or maybe you're one of those folks who got a deposit in your bank account from the U.S. Treasury, and you have a spirit of abundance. Whatever your financial capacity is right now, remember that generosity is a spiritual discipline well before it is a financial decision. So I invite you to embrace a spirit of generosity coming out of God's abundant love and grace for this world. If you choose to contribute financially today, you'll have the opportunity to give online. You'll see a link on the screen. You can also scan that QR code with your phone. 
If you're on Facebook, you can click the donate button on Facebook, or you can just navigate to our church website at cumcballston.org and go to the bottom of the page and click on the yellow donate button. If you prefer to give your offering by check, you can mail that into the church office at 4201 Fairfax Drive, Arlington, Virginia.